Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Hey friend, hope you're having a good week. I hope that you're growing in grace. You know, I believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, I believe that was the greatest expression of grace this world has ever known. But have you ever thought about what Jesus went through while he was on the cross? I believe that Psalm 69 gives us unique insight into what Jesus was going through when he was on the cross. So I'm going to call this devotion a glimpse into the agony beneath the atonement. Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm that points to Jesus. Do you know that this psalm actually is like number three psalm quoted throughout the New Testament? Psalm 110 has the most citations, followed by Psalm 22, but Psalm 69 is like in third place. It's written by David, not only created by God with uh, poetic expression through David, but also called by God to give a prophetic explanation. You see, within this biblical revelation, we can see Christ's redemption in verses 1 to 21. That's where we're going to spend our time. As the sins of the world were placed spiritually upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But then if you were to keep reading verses 22 to 28, you would see Christ's retribution as the armies of the world stand against him under his wrath. But then the psalm ends verses 29 to 36 with Christ's coronation as the struggles of the world disappear as upon his head sits the crown. One last thought before we get going. You know, the four Gospels give us the facts of Jesus' crucifixion, but I believe that Psalm 69, verses 1 through 21, they present the feelings of the one who was crucified for our sins. You know, I believe that David was given supernatural inspiration and insight to describe the Savior's woes and His ways. So I want us to look at this passage together. Let me read it first, and then we'll, we'll look at five different things that went through His heart while He was on the cross. Psalm 69 begins this way, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Where there is no foothold, I have come into deep waters. And the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you 
be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. That last verse, along with three other verses, are actually quoted in the New Testament by Jesus or by someone else that was a writer of the New Testament referring to him. So if these verses do refer, at least in some way, to Jesus, what are they trying to tell us? What did he go through when the sins of the world were placed upon him? Let me give you five things to consider. The first one is this. Have you considered the agony of the weight of the sins of the world? I believe in verses 1 through 3, he's using a metaphor a metaphor of sinking into water, of sinking down into mire like mud. But he describes the misery beneath the weight of the sins. When he says, save me, O God. Do you remember some of the agony that Jesus cried out when he was upon the cross? Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the motivation for him carrying the weight of the world's sins was very simple. He was waiting for God, waiting for the Father. You see, there was no Savior for him if there was to be a Savior for us. That's why our sins were placed upon his shoulders, spiritually, I'm saying. You know, I got to thinking, what does this world weigh? Have you ever looked that up? I was shocked. I didn't even understand what it meant. Do you know that this planet weighs 13 septillion pounds? Go figure that. That's, that's amazing. That's like 13,000 plus 170 billion trillion pounds, however much that is. But my point is simple. 
when spiritually the sins of the whole world, from the beginning of the human race until this very moment, when the sins of the whole world were placed upon Jesus, can you imagine the weight of that, how heavy that was? It's no wonder that we hear these first three verses crying out in agony, feeling as though he was sinking. Let's go to a second thing I want you to consider. Not only the agony of the weight of the sins of the world, but I believe verses four and five tell us about something else. The agony of the wrongs within the sins of the world. Have you ever thought about how in some ways the cross was like a holy lightning rod? A holy lightning rod that drew the fury from a holy God, from God's wrath, but it also drew the high voltage of all the wrongs that man, that we have done to one another. Can you imagine the amount of vengeance that is upon this earth? Can you imagine across all the periods of time how many people have hated one another or have been bitter toward one another? Just think, all of that, all of those wrongs that perhaps someone has done you wrong, do you know that all of that was placed upon Jesus? Can you imagine the wrongs within the sins of the world? No wonder he talks in verse 4 about people hating him more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me. But notice what he says next. Without cause, Jesus died as an innocent substitute for our sins. He had done no wrongs. It's just that he was dying in our place as a substitute for our sins. This is going to maybe maybe shock you when I say this, but think carefully about this in terms of Jesus dying as a substitute for our sins. I believe that he died not only for us, but somehow spiritually, he died as us. He was actually taking my place, all of those wrong things that I had done throughout my whole life. Do you know that all of that, he took it upon himself? So think about this. The wrongs within our sins drew hate from the world. And that's why he says, what I did not steal, must I now restore? Has anyone ever stolen something that belonged to you and they never returned it? Well, just imagine, he died on the cross for all of those wrongs. The wrongs within our sins were also, verse 5 would tell us, not hidden from the Father. What would it have been like for Jesus and the Father? They had the, the closest unity of any out of all time. He says, Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Had he done any wrongs? No, never, never in all eternity past had Jesus ever done one single thing wrong. But at that moment, he took all of the wrongs that I had done, that you had done, that we had done as the whole human race from the beginning of the human race until this time. Can you imagine how many wrongs that would be? It would be beyond counting. So anyway, just think about the agony of all of those wrongs, of all of that hatred, of all of that vengeance, of all of that 
Even God saying, okay, I have to punish this. Sin must be punished because he's holy. Wow. I've never considered that much agony before in my life until I read this psalm. That's why I wanted to pass it along to you. But there's another type of agony. Have you ever felt that there's just simply no hope? Have you ever felt hopeless? Well, I believe that when the sins of the world were placed upon Jesus, there was also this agony of the whirlpool of the world's sins, a whirlpool. You know, back in um, July of 2020, there was an actress, I think her name was Naya Rivera, who died accidentally in a drowning in a lake in California. She was only 33 years of age, but she and her four-year-old son were out swimming and they were in a pontoon boat. And the the four-year-old, thankfully, she was able to put him into the boat whenever the whirlpool began. But something began to pull her down. She began to swim as quickly as possible with her son who had a life preserver on, but she had no life vest on. And so when she puts her son up into the pontoon boat, he says, I saw my mommy disappear beneath the water. And so something pulled her down. So they don't know exactly what it was, but some speculate it was a whirlpool. Wow, the New York Times uh, said on February the 24th of 2022, it's not exactly a physical whirlpool that happens in, the, in water, but on February 24th, 2022, the New York Times said that more than one-third of high school students cannot shake this feeling of hopelessness. Isn't that sad? It goes on to say that one in five teenagers, they're, they're dealing with hopelessness that lasts longer than two weeks. That's a long time. I mean, it's one thing to feel somewhat, you know, feel a sense of despair, but then for it to go on and on beyond two weeks' time. And to think, if you just remember, rewind the tape to that time when you were a teenager, can you imagine feeling hopeless for that long a period of time? One thing just for clarification. Do you know that the data that that gave evidence to this hopelessness that's among so many students, just so you know, this was pre-COVID. This, the data that was gathered from all of these interviews with these high school students happened between 2013 and 2019. And the data was only presented in the New York Times on February 24th, 2022. You know, anyone can suffer from hopelessness. You don't have to be a a student. There's just a terrible vortex that can happen. You know, they say that whenever a whirlpool begins, it's like the current. There's two currents. One is going in one direction, and there's another current going in an opposite direction. And they're, they're swirling the water around it, just like what happened in Lake Texoma in 2015. When there are actual pictures that can verify this, there was an eight-foot vortex. Can you imagine some kind of watery hole that would be eight foot? I'm telling you, a, a whirlpool is just so powerful. But what about the dynamics of the hopelessness that's described in verse six? 
when Jesus died on the cross, this is what he took upon himself that you and I would feel and deal with in our lives from time to time. Here's what it says in verse 6. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. I was thinking when I read the word dishonor and I read the word shame, I thought that that's the dynamic of hopelessness, at least for some people. They feel ashamed for things they've done in the past, or perhaps they feel dishonor and they feel like they have completely lost face in front of their friends. Wait a minute. Is there any hope if we have experienced, if we're experiencing now shame or dishonor? There is. There's a direction that goes beyond hopelessness. Listen to that verse again. Jesus is trying to say that's why he died on the cross, so that we would have hope beyond the vortex of shame and the vortex of dishonor. Here's what it says. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. Can you see the direction The direction of hope is found in the Lord. There is hope. That's why I couldn't wait to share this with you, my friend, because maybe someone who hears this is going to say, that's where I am. I'm feeling like I'm being pulled down by hopelessness. But I just want you to know, if you will look in the direction of the Father, there is hope there. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Yep, you probably saw this coming. What about that through me? Did you hear him say that twice? He did, didn't he? You know what I think that is? That's the deliverance. That's the deliverance out of hopelessness. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you Be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. You see, it's through Christ that we can find hope. And I know that maybe your shame, it feels unbearable. Perhaps the dishonor, it seems like it's taking you down. But I just want to encourage you, please go to Christ. Please go to Him because He already experienced the whirlpool of that hopelessness. And He is pointing in the direction of Hope, hope that only the Father can give, but the way you will access that hope is through Christ. I've got a couple more. If you can hang with me just a little bit more. How about this fourth type of agony that he must have experienced on the cross? The agony of the wounds from the sins of the world. Wow. You know, through the course of the ages, Uh, Mankind has hurt one another a lot. Have you ever been wounded by someone else? Someone else uh, did something, they said something, and it really hurt. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to bring healing to those kind of wounds, those kind of hurts? You know, we we hurt one another a lot, don't we? I was shocked the other day to to learn that 70 million fatalities were found in... uh, the human race after World War II, when they started counting up 
how many people lost their lives in that terrible war. In the Civil War, there were 520 American fatalities. Do you know that in World War I, there were 204 and two American soldiers who were wounded? What are the regions of the wounds that we experience? You know, they're not all the same, are they? For example, as I was reading verses 7 through 12, I thought about these kind of regions that perhaps you've been hurt. Has someone ever hurt you spiritually? Maybe not, but how about emotionally? Have you ever been in a relationship where you got wounded and hurt? Perhaps there was some social injury that you've experienced, or maybe it was a, something legal, something physical even. I hope not, but the facts are those things happen. So when I read verses 7 through 12, listen to it again. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Do you know that Jesus' own brothers that were born to Mary after he was born, they didn't believe in him at first. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. It's almost like, what could Jesus do that some people would accept and say, yeah, that's the right thing. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. Wow. Why would he take on the wounds for things that he didn't inflict. Well, I believe in verse 7 and verse 9, we have a clue. He says, for your sake and for your house, referring to the Father. I know that Jesus did die for us as a substitute for our sins, but, but really think about it. Actually, this was a covenant between the Father and the Son, and the Father provided the Son to die on that cross, but the Son was in agreement. And so the, the Son said, if I die on the cross, do you promise that you will forgive them of their sins? And the Father said, if you die on the cross, you are completely innocent, you are sin-free, then I will pardon their sins. Wow, the wounds from the sins of the world, I think that that agony was upon his heart when he died on the cross for us. Let me finish with one closing thought about a fifth agony. Agony over the wages of the sins of the world. You know, there is a U.S. debt clock that constantly is running and is trying to tell us how much our country owes. Do you know that right now it says, for example, $28.3 But think about the debt of our sins. They're also running up uh, this incredible amount. Think about the clock of redemption, though. I like this. Verse 13 says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Do you know that the Father did answer the Son? When the Son died, Three days later, the Father raised him from the dead. It was at just the right time 
when Jesus died on that cross to forgive us of our sins. I'm so glad that the clock of redemption, that the Father was watching that and he had it under control. But I also couldn't help but notice in verses 13 to 16 of this great psalm, the character that was behind redemption. What was that character behind redemption? Well, he mentioned some of it in verse 13, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. You see, the love of the Father, the mercy of the Father, His graciousness and His goodness, all of these things, that's why He could die on the cross and the Father would say, I will pardon them. It goes on to say in verse 16, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do you get the idea that all of this was based upon the character of God? And then think about the cost of our redemption. You know, in verse 18, the psalmist writes these words, Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. Wow. You know, Jesus was our ransom. He was what his blood was shed for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin debt. He paid the price that really we owed. But think about still those closing verses, the reproach for redemption. For not all people received him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. It talks about in verses 19 to 21, You know my reproach, and my shame, and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart, so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Were there anyone, any people there who could rescue Jesus, who could save him? No, he was the only one who could save. And so there was so many around him who were making fun of him. You know, it says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. That actually happened when Jesus was on the cross. You know, I don't know that every one of these verses was about Jesus. Perhaps some of them were about David, some of the experiences that he went through. But all I know is this, Jesus himself applied verses from this psalm to himself. Paul applied it to Jesus as well. You know, I do believe that the sins of the world broke the heart of our Savior when he was on the cross some people say that's what he died of, was of a broken heart. But I want you to know that he loves you so much. He went to that cross for you. And so whenever you consider and contemplate and meditate upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, think about what he went through just so you could be forgiven of your sins. And the next time you have a hard time forgiving someone else, Think about how he died on that cross for their wrongs toward you as well. I think it can help us to forgive those around us. Would you pray with me? I'd love to pray together one more time. Lord, I thank you so much that we're all just growing in grace. Uh, it's all about grace. I thank you so much for introducing us to your grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Oh, Lord, we did not deserve such a sacrifice, and yet you gave it mercifully and uh, graciously. And so all we can come back and say is thank you. Thank you for saving us. I know that um, Jesus, when you died on that cross, the Father didn't rescue you because you had come to seek and to save that which was lost. You came to pay the price for our sins, all of my sins, all of the sins of every listener, regardless of where they are right now, that you died on the cross for all of us. And so help us to go to you to find forgiveness and mercy and grace. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us life through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, my heart cry and my prayer is that God will bless you, not only through this message, but also he'll bless you as you go through this week. You have a great day today. God bless you, friends. Thank you for tuning in. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.